Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. On this, the fabulous 70th episode, we have a pretty standard, uh, pretty standard one coming at you this week. We've got news, which includes trailers, some coming soon, and some rumors. We have comic book picks, which came out this past week, and we have comic book polls coming out this week. Um, some really fun stuff there. And then we're going to talk Ms. Marvel episode four, titled Seeing Red, and finally Star Trek Strange New Worlds episode nine, titled All Those Who Wander. Before we get started here, you can find me online. Um, there is a Yancey Street Discord link in the bottom of each episode. It is a place for just like-minded folks to talk about whatever you really want to. Um, it doesn't have to be relevant to the podcast at all. Uh, you can find me on social media most easily on Instagram. My username is Anna with the Comics. My podcast updates are usually posted on Twitter where I am Savage She Geek. My website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. I have been working up to fix the site a lot, so it is still relevant in addition to the podcast, including beginner's guides to both comics and manga, covering any information that I hope you might need to take your first steps into those worlds, including recommendations on comics, graphic novels, manga, um, various genres as well. Um, I have reading orders of various leading ladies, uh, Clea, Madeline Pryor, Magic, Hellcat, a bunch of them on there. You can go check them all out. Uh, but anything that you want to see that might be pre-2021 is not going to be on the podcast. It is on the blog before I started the podcast. I also post the podcast notes um, available for anybody who wants to kind of read what the content of each week's podcast is instead of listening. And of course, for those who are hearing impaired. Finally, I do have links to anywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which is anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. And that includes YouTube, where I also post action figure review videos and all the podcast gets put into one playlist for you to listen from if that's easier. I do have a podcast Patreon. I have it linked below with a Kofi Cash App Venmo PayPal. All of that fun stuff in the link tree and in various links below. As always, thank you to the patrons and thank you for supporting the podcast, even if it is just liking and sharing. Or, of course, listening. Starting off, as we usually do, with news. We have a couple little brief updates here before we get into trailers. Um, Baymax, first of all, the animated show Baymax, which spins off from Big Hero 6, is now streaming on Disney+. I don't particularly care for it myself because it was kind of very obviously aimed towards children and I was not in that, um, <laughs> I'm not in that subset. Um, but if you like that kind of stuff for kids, it's there, it's cute, but just, just kind of for kids and I, not really for me, um, but just, just cause it's, it's too kiddie for me. It's too, I mean, even the voice acting kind of sounds like it's forced. <laughs> But anyway, you may see on Twitter, how uh, I have seen on Twitter in the past week, uh, videos of Ant-Man, uh, Captain Marvel, and some other heroes um, seemingly together. That was actually for a, it was some kind of promotion for the Disney Wish uh, cruise line. Their new cruise boat, the Disney Wish, is, I guess just had its first opening week or something. I don't know how that shit works, to be honest. Um, but they managed to get all of the superstars of the movies to come back and record a special video of the, uh, I guess what they're calling, New Avengers team hanging out together. Um, 
it's cute. You know, Carol looks really good. You get Kamala's there. Um, you get uh, the new Captain America. You get Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's really cute. I think it was, um, if that's the new Avengers we're going to get, I'm I'm down. Um, on the less happy news note, Dan Slott is back on Spider-Man with a new number one in October. I am guessing that the other Spider-Man is ending. The Amazing Spider-Man? I'm, I'm honestly not sure. Um, but Dan Slott has written Spider-Man multiple times in the past, to much readers' dismay. <laughs> Nobody likes Dan Slott on Spider-Man. Why did they keep giving Dan Slott Spider-Man? I don't know, but that's where we're at with Spider-Man in October. <laughs> Finally, um, this is not a rumor, so I didn't put it in the rumors, but uh, Taron Edgerton has apparently met with Kevin Feige. He, sa he says that he has met with Kevin Feige about a role, and he also says that he would play Wolverine if they asked him to. Um, he is kind of a fan favorite fan casting for that. Um, and since they kind of have been weird about allowing the fans to choose that kind of stuff, it's kind of weird. Um, they might actually go with it. I don't know. And who's to say if the character that he's met with Feige about is actually Logan? Could be something else. But in any case, he would play Wolverine if they asked him to. So I guess that's fun to know. <laughs> this week brought us two new trailers. Of course, Thor Love and Thunder is going to be coming out this coming week or this coming Friday. Um, but for upcoming things, we had trailers for Paper Girls and Battle of the Super Sons. Paper Girls is, of course, based on comics by Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang. The trailer was was put out just a couple of weeks ago. I believe this one is going to be on either Netflix or Amazon. I don't quite recall, actually. It does look really good, and here's what they have to say about the show. It says, It's the day after Halloween in 1988 when four young girls accidentally stumble into an intense time war and find themselves inexplicably transported to the year 2019. When they come face-to-face -face with their adult selves, each girl discovers her own strengths as together they try to find a way back to the past while saving the world of the future. It's a little bit People have already comp compared it a lot to Stranger Things. Paper Girls came out way before Stranger Things. I just like would like that to be known. Uh, the comic was way before Stranger Things. So if anything, Stranger Things stole from Paper Girls. Um, it looks really good. I'll definitely be watching it when it shows up. Um, I have not read the comic myself. I really should. Um, but I've just never had a chance to. So maybe I will soon. The Battle of the Super Sons trailer actually leaked, um, I, uh, and so they just went ahead and released the the real thing later. Um, this is going to be following John Kent and Damian Wayne, just like the Super Sons comic series by Peter J. Tomasi and Jorge Jimenez. The trailer begins with Superman and Batman bringing Jonathan uh, to the cave, and in the cave, Jonathan is introduced to Damien. Damien then throws a battering at Jonathan's head to test his vulnerability. Superman tells Batman that their sons meeting them, uh, meeting for the first time reminds them of themselves meeting. Uh, the trailer cuts to Robin telling Superboy that the aliens are taking over the world, and it shows that the alien is Starro. And yes, he is taking over people, including Batman and Superman. John and Damien must then find fight their own fathers while they are under Starro's control. It also sets up a fight between Superboy and Robin against the mind-controlled Justice League. The League's lineup here is going to include, this is going to be their backup lineup, I believe, Flash, or Kid Flash, Martian Manhunter, 
Beast Boy, Wonder Girl, and Green Arrow. And I will have a link to the trailers in the description below. And if you hear any rustling in the background, that is the kitten shoving his head in an empty tissue box because he ripped all the tissues out and they're on the floor behind me. Jesus Christ. Moving on to <laughs> coming soon. We had a couple of uh, announcements this week, one being the Harley Quinn season three release date. And I'm quite excited for this because it is this month. It's gonna premiere on HBO Max July 28th of this year. So we only have a couple of weeks, like three weeks away and it's gonna be here. So I am quite excited. I loved the first two seasons and I have no doubt the third will be just as fantastic. Uh, also in regards to the Warner MonsterVerse, Warner Brothers has announced that the next Godzilla vs. Kong style movie is going to be in theaters March 15th, 2024. Although they did not give a name for it, so. But look out, in 2024, it'll be here. Also, 8 Billion Genies, which is a comic by Charles Soule that is only on its second issue, has been picked up by Amazon. So hopefully uh, we will be seeing a quality version of that. And 8 Billion Genies is only going to be eight issues long, so it's not like Amazon's going to get their show out before the comic is done. That's definitely not going to be the case. Um, how they're going to make it work? Eh, cartoon? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but it is one of those comics that is hooks you so quickly, it makes sense why Amazon picked it up so fast. Finally, we have some news on the Batgirl movie. They had a test screening to great responses. Apparently Michael Keaton's Batman is a badass. I don't see it based on the outfit they're giving him, but apparently it works, so we'll just wait and see. Uh, he and Batgirl both have a no-kill rule. Black Canary was rumored to be in it. She is not in it. However, her poster is clearly seen in the movie, I guess, for singing. Um, Nightwing is not in the movie. He was rumored to possibly show up. Although, Michelle Pfeiffer is the Catwoman of this universe, um, which I think is friggin' awesome. <laughs> and additionally, Batgirl is going to have a second suit. I am hoping it's going to be the black and gold suit, or really anything but the purple one, because that is my least favorite of all of them. Not going to get into why right now. <laughs> uh, but that's what we have on the Batgirl movie so far. It looks like everything is going really, really well. I know there was a lot of criticism um, pretty much as soon as they announced they were working on anything for it. So I'm glad to see that it's actually apparently working out pretty well. Finally, we do have two very small rumors at the end of the news segment here. The first involves What If Season 2. The rumor is that it might premiere on Disney Plus July 20th of this year, which is less than three weeks away. It's really more like two and a bit weeks away. Well, really two. It was, you know, it's like two weeks away. So um, I, I would be very surprised that they do that if they haven't announced it yet. Um... Let me see, just looking at a calendar. So we're gonna get episode four. That is the week after Ms. Marvel ends. So it's possible that that could be legit, or that could just be, could just have been somebody spitballing, using logic saying, oh, well, if Ms. Marvel's gonna end on the 13th, maybe they'll start what if on the 20th, because they always gotta have some kind of content going, right? It's summer, right, yeah. The other rumor is involving Avatar. The live action remake is rumored to be completed filming. We are all extremely nervous about this, so that's really all I have, but please, please don't disappoint us. Again. 
I actually have a good little bit of content here for the comic book picks for this past week. They include Batcat, number 12 of 12, Iron Man Hellcat Annual, The Variants, number 1 of 5, She-Hulk, number 4, 8 Billion Genies, number 2 of 8, Public Domain, number 1, uh, Sins of the Black Flamingo, number 1, Astronaut Down, number 1 from a few weeks ago, Actually, I have a number from a few weeks ago here. Rain, number five. Alice Ever After, number three. Homesick Pilots, 15. And then Iron Cat, number one of five from this past week. So starting at the top of that list with Batman Catwoman, number 12 of 12. The great finale of Tom King's Batman and Catwoman saga. In this issue, old Selina gifts her daughter something before she leaves Gotham on the run. Helena expects it to be her mother's wedding ring, however, it is just the Joker's glasses, which are the one thing that can tie Selina to his death and put her away forever. So, this is Selina teasing her daughter that she's just as naughty as her mother, not the straight-laced hero her father was because she knows she won't turn her mother in, even with this evidence. Clark and Lois are the witnesses at the Bat-Cat wedding, which is actually Bruce and Selina. It's not Batman and Catwoman, it's Bruce and Selina, which takes place in, of all things, a Vegas-style Gotham love chapel. Lois is wearing the dress that she wore to the fair in the Tom King run when they first announced their engagement, although actually it was Selina wearing that dress at the fair. The couple's costumed as one another. It was adorable. And then finally, in the end of the issue, we find out that Andrea's death, as we saw it a few issues ago on Christmas, was actually faked by Clayface. And when Selena leaves Gotham on the run, she goes to Paradise to meet up with Andrea, and they talk about how much fun it was killing the Joker. You gotta love it. I thought it was awesome. Iron Man Hellcat Annual is a one-shot that confirms for the first time in a while that Patsy has her mental telepathy powers back again, which is very exciting to me. To me, this was a 10 out of 10 issue. It was mostly about Patsy, who I adore. She goes to check out a house that was left to her by her mother in San Francisco. When a haunted teddy bear forces Tony to come and help her and Hetty, it's actually Damon, and he tries to get her under her skin before he too takes off. Lots of foreshadowing for more Patsy content in the future. Gimme, 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 want, 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 now, now, now. The Variants, number one of five, is by Gail Simone and Phil Noto. I've said it before and I will say it again. Phil Noto does great covers, but where he really shines is his interior art. In this issue, there is some residual stuff going on about the Purple Man that'll probably still be relevant through the series, and Jessica runs into herself back at her own house um, and kind of is shocked, and then the Captain America version of herself shows up. So, even more shocked. <laughs> She-Hulk number four, uh, Jen and Titania play fight and jokingly call or jokingly talk about starting a fight club. Many heroes seek Jen for legal counsel, although she can't help them because of her boss. Jen and Jack go on a date and discuss his situation, and in the end, someone catches up to them looking for Jack. And there's also a line uh, in the comic that I would like clarified. Reed Richards says, thank you for helping with our custody case. Speaking about him and Sue. I'm sorry, are they divorcing? Because if they're divorcing, that will be the only good thing that comes out of that Fantastic Four run. I've always wanted them to get divorced. Uh, another podcast, another time. 
8 billion genies number two of eight. This issue is eight hours after the first genies arrived. In Argentina, when the genies are first arrived, two parents learn what's going on and run in to check on their kids. The father wishes that none of the children can use their wishes without approval. He tells them, you are children. I love you all, but everything you want is stupid. So I guess we're going to get these little anthology blurbs of other places in the world when this first goes down throughout the series. So back in the bar in Michigan, uh, where there is pretty much chaos outside, but everything inside is safe due to the bartender's first wish. The bartender, he had, it turns out he's a um, apocalypse prepper. He has a whole living space in the back ready for anything. The genies can come and go as the wisher pleases until they make their wish. Their name is all genie. They all know why this is happening as well, but they won't tell. For fun. <laughs> but they do say that it's only one wish and not three because they know that people are frankly stupid. We see that the president had someone wish for him for America, American supremacy, but so did North Korea and apparently every other country in the world except New Zealand. So the genies just canceled out all of those wishes. The genies want as many people as possible to see their wishes come true, so they don't let wishes that will cancel out other wishes happen. The Chinese couple who was in the bar considers wishing themselves out to their destination and then back to safety because they have the two wishes between them, but all of downtown Detroit is on fire, so they can't really go there. The dad who was at the bar wishes his wife back to life, and it works out, although I can't possibly see it working out in the long term. And after some uh, deliberation, the Chinese husband wishes to become whatever is necessary to protect himself and anyone with him in this new world. And he ends up being basically this, like, samurai, not samurai, um, Gundam guy. <laughs> like a, like a, just a life-size Gundam person. And so he goes off, um, and then somebody knocks on the door, and it turns out he is Ernest, and he is with somebody named Dorothy and somebody named Jim. So I guess we'll get a little bit more about who they are and what they're going to add to the story in the next issue. Public Domain number one by Chip Zartsky was unsurprisingly fantastic. Um, the story follows a reporter who was put on assignment for a publicity tour of a hero movie, which is based off the comics that his dad co-created. Um, it's all a bit of a kind of dark topic in his family, and we kind of get to see why throughout the issue. When he interviews the lead actor who portrays the hero in the movie, uh, he gets a little bit bent up about the guy not crediting the comics that the movie is based off of. They end up arguing, the actor gets super offensive about his dad's art in the comic, and the guy ends up punching him. Um, he then, his brother gets him out of jail. Uh, apparently this current movie is a remake of ones that was made when the boys were kids. They talk about how their dad created the series and the character, but he gets no money or credit while fans line up uh, to hand out money to the publisher. Hmm, does this sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> Even when the two were kids and their dad had drawn them into the comic, the writer, Jerry, wouldn't let them use, wouldn't let him use their real names. Later at the premiere for the movie, the publicist says that Jerry would rather die than let him, than take a photo with Sidney, the artist of the comic, uh, and that the publisher is the real creator. 
one person, however, takes a picture with him and he's completely thrilled. She says she wants to be a comic writer. They hit it off. And then we get this really funny pan to the director of the movie who says, like, all of the MCU director's stuff, right? Oh, yeah, I love playing with the toys. Uh, thanks for letting me t- play with the toys. You know, this is phase five of the FCU. It's like, just absolutely satire gold. Um, and then the movie happens. During the movie, the writer of the comic falls asleep because he's an asshole who doesn't actually care. And then Sydney spends the whole time glued to his seat, absolutely thrilled to even be there. Um, and then the woman that Sid spoke to turns out to be Tanya, Jerry's assistant. Um, and Jerry today tasks her with, the next day I guess, tasks her with finding old script pages because the publisher wants to post them in extra content for something. So she goes and she, she searches the basement, but what she finds though is paperwork stating that Sydney owns Domain, the character that they created not Jerry, who gets all of the credit and all of the money. Aside from the publisher, of course. I don't know. I, I, like, this is obviously a massive satir- satirical metaphor to real-world situations. So perfect. I just... so good. Sins of the Black Flamingo, number one of five, was pretty awesome. I would describe this as a love-slash-hate letter to the uh, state of Florida. <laughs> The Flamingo is a thief. Uh, He pretends to be a mannequin to get into a museum overnight. He says, I rob the rich because the poor have nothing worth taking. To which I say, sad laugh. (laughs) In the basement, he finds Nazi memorabilia. Um, Internment camp survivors, he also notes, of the Holocaust with pink triangles were not set free if they had time on their sentence. They were sent to German prisons to complete their sentence. So they have a little bit about imagine being saved from these Nazis only to have the good guys turn around and put you back in jail. Nice history for the world there, isn't it? Uh, So he ends up stealing what he needs and he leaves a little black flamingo behind because he can't help but love the drama. It turns out that the thing that he sold brings a clay golem to life. He is, it is, or, yeah, it is the lover of a Jewish mystic from that era. The descendants of the mystic will now take care of him. He says, these people cling to their family names like guns and religion. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, that type, um, that type being the type who have Nazi memorabilia. Uh, Harlow, who is the pink flamingo, he has ability to, uh, some kind of ability to see things. And at that party that night, he sees a vision of blood and death. His partner creates a distraction and he goes into the basement to find a tied up angel. Not a clue what's happening here, but I love it. <laughs> Astronaut Down number one was from a few weeks ago. I really, I finally got around to reading it. I really enjoyed it. It's from Aftershock. Basically, three astronauts are sent to look for alternate realities as theirs is being eaten by a cancer of physics. There are only seven barrier cities left in the U.S. with like 16 worldwide. Two of the astronauts fail in the mission and are completely destroyed in the process. The third overshoots what the scientists can predict as far as alternate realities go and lands in a version of himself where his female partner is still around. And that's how the issue ends. So we're going to get into some crazy adventures in the second one, probably. Rain number five was the final issue of this series. It came out again a couple of weeks ago. Um, the little kid who, Templeton, who has been following Yolanda around, or it's not Yolanda, Honeysuckle around, he writes a eulogy for Yolanda and her mom, um, and his mom kind of like retreats into her home. 
the kid Templeton, uh, his dad turns out to have been a chemist before he killed himself. His company took his research and moved to the country of Georgia, uh, and dad committed suicide. Everybody thinks that the rain that is the dangerous rain that's coming is from Georgia, uh, but it turns out that Templeton's mom did it. She seeded the clouds in Denver with the crystal dust, and that's why it started there. She says that the, the Georgian oligarchs stole her husband's future, so she stole theirs. Templeton was never taking medication that made him sensitive to the sun. She was just protecting him from the coming rain and making him stay indoors that way. Templeton tries to run away then, and it starts to rain, so his mom comes out to protect him and ends up dying on top of him. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty dark. Honeysuckle buries the mom in the yard too, because she wants to be a good example for Templeton. They set out for the University of Colorado in Denver to find someone who can look at his dad's research on his old tablet and fix the rain for good. The end. Kind of an odd way to end it, honestly. Who would have predicted it was personal? <laughs> Alice Ever After also came out a few weeks ago. Uh, Thomas and Theodore are the thugs that have found Alice and her companion, and they inject them with, like, a major overdose of liquid heroin. The head of the asylum finds them and is furious because Alice's father is super rich and they would lose that money if she dies. In Wonderland, because that's where she goes when she's high, she talks to the Cheshire Cat about fitting in places, or rather, not fitting in places. We get some of her backstory, how her mother died and her father was a terrifying dentist, who may or may not have worked on her mother's corpse, um, and he made her drink liquid heroin as a child to forget what she saw of his um, surgeries practicing on corpses, which was included her mother. Edith and Earl, who are her sister and friend, they do want to get Alice out of the asylum. Meanwhile, the director of the asylum tells uh, some creepy science death dude that she has a new patient for him, obviously meaning Alice, so that is clearly going to be no good for her. Homesick Pilots, film number 15, was the final issue of the series that came out a few weeks ago and I finally caught up on. Basically, after the events of the last issue, the government tries to destroy the house, but basically can't. Um, so it just sits there. Omni and Buzz are still inside, kept there by old Mr. James, the horseshoe ghost who once owned the house. Their friend Rip finally discovers Meg in the depths of the house, um, who they think, who thinks that they are just all in hell. They eventually come together to take out the old James guy, and the other ghosts of the house are going to help too. Then, it is actually revealed that all four of them are ghosts as well, having died at various points in the series unrevealed until now. So when they take out the James house and release the ghosts inside, they move on as well. As they fade off, they wonder what will happen in the world with the ghosts out and about existing, because that's how they're leaving things. The house explodes as they disappear and it gets just it just gets blocked off now four years later the legend goes ami and meg were the first two ever walkers people who could take control of ghost uh beings basically a radio station plays a single from the nuclear bastards which is the only song they ever recorded and it was meg's band uh, and then they play a recently discovered track by the homesick pilots the other band uh, apparently, ghost walkers are a normal thing now, and the legacy will go on. Iron Cat number one of five 
real briefly, uh, Iron Cat is Tamara Blake, another student of the White Fox, who uh, you'll remember Felicia recently kind of got killed. She didn't kill him, she just got him killed. Uh, also, Tamara and Felicia have dated at one point. Next up, we're talking comic book pull lists. This will be comics that come out on the 5th and 6th of July, 5th being for DC Comics and the 6th for anything else. We're going we're gonna to read the solicitations for the number ones and or ones that I'm just more interested in and kind of speed through the rest. So starting with Something's Wrong with Patrick Todd, number one. 15-year-old Patrick Todd lives on the run, hiding out in seedy motels, living out of his backpack, and making sure that his mom, recently struck down by a mysterious illness of the mind, is well cared for. But doctors cost money, a lot of money, and so Patrick turns to a life of crime. Using the telepathic... <laughs> telepathic abilities he's been hiding all his life, he forces the worst of the worst to rob banks, taking the money before making them turn themselves in to the police. But someone has taken notice of Patrick's schemes. A reckoning is coming. Will the police find Patrick in time to save him, or will he become yet another victim of the killer called Zeus? This one is by Ed Brisson and Gavin Gudry, and it comes from Aftershock. We have a Savage Tales one-shot from Dynamite Comics with one, two, three, four different stories in it. The first has Red Sonia in The Executioner's Sword. The second is Vampirella in Horrible People Doing Horrible Things to Horrible People. The third is Alan Quartermain in Missionaries of Madness. And the fourth is Captain Golivar Jones in His War. Liam Sharp's Starhenge, book one, The Dragon and the Boar, number one, is coming out this week. This is a very much-anticipated indie comic created entirely by Liam Sharp, and it is a visual masterpiece. The plot is a future Merlin travels to 5th century Britain to prevent monstrous time-traveling killer robots from robbing the future universe of magic, and Amber Weaver's lively present-day narrative reveals how she becomes drawn into a war across time. This one also comes from Image Comics. Astronaut Down by Patrick, or sorry, James Patrick and Rubine is coming from Aftershock. I just talked about the first issue in the pick list, so we're fresh on that one. Poison Ivy number two from G. Willow Wilson and Marcio Takara has covers by Jessica Fong, Jenny Frizen, Claire Rowe, Alvaro Martinez Bueno, Sweeney Boo, and Christian Ward. Nubia and the Amazons number two also comes from DC by Stephanie Williams and Aletha Martinez alongside Multiversity Young Justice number two, which is the Earth 11 story of the Young Justice team. It's gender swapped, more or less. This is by Ivan Cohen and Danny Lore and, with Marco Faia. And a ser it has a series of variants by Stephanie Hans, which I highly recommend checking out. Dark Crisis number two is by Joshua Williamson and Daniel Sampere, as covers by Juliette Necca, Rafael Sarmento, Mario Fochillo, Lucio Parillo, and Prasad Rao. Twig number three is by Scotty Young and Kyle Stram from Image Comics. Saga number 60 by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples needs no introduction. Uh, from Image, and finally, Batman number 125, we get a new creative team here of Chip Zartsky and Jorge Jimenez, uh, with covers by Jorge Jimenez, Alex Ross, Jim Lee with Scott Williams, Gabriel Delado, Inyuk Lee, Francesco Matina, 
Simone DeMeo, Jock, Alex Gardner, Chip Sarsky, John Gang, Miko Suyan, and Warren Liu. Moving on now to Ms. Marvel. This is episode four, which premiered last week on the, the 29th. Yeah, the 29th on Disney+. Plus. This fourth episode is titled Seeing Red. We start off with Muniba and Kamala and whoever else goes with them are headed to Karachi, Pakistan. The partition of India is a real-life historical event when the British Empire divided India into two separate countries, India and Pakistan, in 1947. It is considered a tragic event in history. Muniba's mother, Sana, was one of the evacuees when she was a child, losing her mother in the process. If you hear that in the background, that's my cat playing with a very noisy toy. Sana was told about who or what her mother is was from her father. Does this mean that he was the same, or did he just marry an alien? Um, they are, of course, clandestines, not jinn. Uh, they are more or less known as the Unseen. At the train station that Kamala kind of arrives at, we see an Ant-Man mural inspired by the art of Adrian Alfona. You can see his name on the mural there. Alfona is one of the co-creators of Kamala Khan's comic creator, sorry, character, and he was the very first artist for the character back in 2013, working on the first issue with G. Willow Wilson. Kareem, who is played by Aramis Knight, shows up as Red Dagger, a character from the comics by the same name. Red Dagger first appears in Ms. Marvel number 12. He is a vigilante from Karachi in the comics, and they've somewhat changed it here so that he is part of what seems to be a Red Dagger society of, for of sorts. Um, a, the Red Daggers in Pakistan protect people from the unseen, aka those like the clandestines. We learn that the Veil of Noor is what separates the dimension of the clandestines and the human world, and the bangles can be used to open the veil. Uh, he's, one thing that he says to her, he says, Pakistani American something something, and she says, Ms. Marvel says back, how do you know I'm not Canadian? Which is funny because Iman, of course, is Canadian Pakistani. Walid is the leader of the Red Daggers. He gifts Kamala a special blue vest, one that will no doubt end up in the final design of her outfit. Walid said it has history in every thread, which I'm very curious to hear more about, and it inspires her as far as gifts go because it makes her feel like she's part of something bigger than herself, simply taking up her role in the story. We also get a little glimpse at what the Noor dimension apparently looks like, something along the lines of a sci-fi dimension something or other. Walid says that if the clandestines have their way, their dimension of Noor will completely take over and envelop ours, pretty much just overriding it out of existence. Unfortunately, the clandestines are still able to sense Kamala's Noor here in Pakistan and follow her to Karachi. She does her best, but it doesn't stop the Red Dagger leader, Walid, from being killed by them, and she ends up having to fight not Na is it Najma? Najma herself. Yeah, it's Najma. When Najma stabs, I wasn't sure I had the name right. When Najma stands the bang stabs the bangle with a knife in an attack, there is a bright flash of light, and Kamala wakes up at the train station on the night of the last trains out of partition, just as her grandmother would have been as a child. The train from her bangle-induced visions is there, of course, and she'll no doubt witness what happened that night with Aisha, Sana's clandestine mother, who has been missing since then. 
something that was pretty cool about this episode, because that's how it ends there, uh, was that the Bollywood cameos, actually the series has had some fun ones from the beginning. What better way to honor that part of the world's culture than uh, to add in its some of its biggest stars? Previously in the series, Kamala and Kamran had talked about Bollywood together, mentioning their favorite actor, Shah Rukh Khan. Specifically now, we are going to be talking about the leader of the Red Daggers, Waleed, because he is played by Bollywood superstar Farhan Akhtar. Um, this made, he made his mark in the music world as well as in cinema as an actor, director, and producer. His most recent film, The Sky is Pink, has him starring alongside Priyanka Chopper Jonas. Fun fact. Additionally, we also know that Fawad Khan will be playing Hassan, Kamal's grandfather, and Sana's father. Khan began his career as a musician and didn't begin acting until the early 2000s. He has won numerous film awards in Pakistan and India alike and is currently one of the highest paid actors in Pakistan. Mohan Kapoor, who plays Yusuf, Kamala's father, also has a long history in Indian cinema. He has had a long career in dubbing many characters into Hindi, including quite a few from the MCU, such as Red Skull in Captain America the First Avenger, and Stephen Strange in all of his various MCU appearances. Ali Khan, Ali, I think it's Ali, another big star in the Bollywood scene, has been announced, but there is no word as to whom he will play or when on the show. Additionally, Lollywood, I felt like it was worth mentioning, is what the Urdu and Punjabi Pakistani film industry is called. Um, and Samina Ahmad plays Kamal's grandmother, Sana, who is a revered pa actress in Pakistan, having been on television since the 1970s. In 2011, she was awarded the Pride of Performance Award by the Pakistani government. Now, I believe, yeah, this article, this, this clip is from The Direct which is an article I found. It says, it's been an amazing vehicle for masterfully crafted representation for the wider audiences who may not know anything about where someone like Kamala comes from. And then there's a quote from the director of the fourth and fifth episodes, Shareem Obaid Shinoy. They say, you know, telling the story of the partition comes with great responsibility. And I, in episode four at the end, when she walks on the platform, I took hundreds of photographs from 1947. I worked with the crew and the cast to recreate frames from real photographs. So when she walks onto that train, walks onto that platform, the conversation she's hearing and the way people are being carried and the props, everything comes out of real photographs. Kamala Khan is not a superhero at this moment. She's literally catching these frantic conversations. So that Kamala Khan is bearing witness to history. She's not a superhero at that moment. She's literally catching these frantic conversations. And I think that when you make it personal, when you make it about the people leaving their homes, then anyone watching anywhere in the world would find a connection to it. Um, also, Kamala isn't really a jinn, and the director notes how, quote, that word has loosely been thrown around in South Asia, and that it may just be the label that the locals place on those who are different. Now, the last thing I want to say here on this episode, I want to say a couple of the questions that I feel like we have li lingering around here, or that I feel like should be answered by the end, whether or not they will. Um, first off, obviously, who is going to be the big cameo? There's got to be a big cameo. There's always a cameo. Who is going to be the cameo? I, I, and when? 
the last episode, end credit scene of the last episode, fifth episode, all through the last episode after an end credit scene for the fifth episode. Who I, I feel like I'm getting my hopes up for that one, honestly, a little bit too much. Um, are all of these Ant-Man teases that we're seeing everywhere really just teasing her and beginning herself properly the way that he does? Um, and by that I mean Ant-Man has been referenced so much in this. Um, and that's got, either that's either he's just a character that she likes for some reason, or it's going to end up being something like, um, you know, she can, she can embiggen her entire self in the comics, not just parts of her. So is it possible that she's going to embiggen her entire self that way and then make a reference to Ant-Man the way that he does, that he does it? Or on the other hand, is it because her powers are related to the quantum realm? which we know he has many ties to, and we're going to be seeing quantum mania, yada, yada, yada. Her powers are obviously, I mean, they must be somehow related to the quantum realm. They are basically the, the nega bands slash quantum bands from the comics. Um, so or, 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 I, I, I feel like there's got to be some, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just reading too much into it. And the Ant-Man stuff is nothing. <laughs> uh, another question. Did she just time travel to partition or is she just seeing the events play out? Um, it, it, what else can the bangle do if it can send you across earth time? Can it send you across space? I must because that's how they want to get home, right? Also, if Kamala did just physically travel there, time travel, will it be Kamala who saved Sana using the starlight to have her follow the trail of SARS and get on the train with her father? I'm also very curious about that. Another question, can Kamala use her powers without the bangle? Um, they made a very big point of Bruno seeing uh, that the powers come from her, not the bangle. Um, so is it possible the bangle just initiates them or unleashes them? Or is there gonna be some point where she doesn't need the bangle anymore? Also, what are the bangle's connections to the Kree? And are we gonna find the second bangle? There supposedly are two. Are we never going to see it? Finally, what is the Noor dimension? Uh, the negative zone, the purple dimension, the dark dimension. My vote right now, the Noor dimension is the purple dimension. Um, we saw a little bit of image of it, and it is, you know, just like Kamala's powers, it is vaguely purpley blue um, and shiny and sparkly and crystalline. And from the comics, the purple dimension is known for its very specialized crystals. I think she's from the purple dimension. I, I'm, I don't know. I just think she's from the purple dimension. All of those questions and more. We've got two episodes left. Tomorrow is going to be the sixth. As a Wednesday, we're going to see episode five on the sixth. Sixth. <laughs> and then we'll see the finale on the 13th of July. And I am excited to see what's going to happen. It's got to tie us into uh, whatever's coming next, right? Because she's going to be a, a significant part of the future of the MCU. So... I'm looking forward to this one. Finally, the last segment of this episode is discussing Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Episode 9. The title of this episode was All Those Who Wander. Basically, uh, the, 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 it's a classic villain, villain piece. <laughs> it's classic unstoppable villains having to make sacrifice for the greater good. Star Trek stuff. So the Enterprise, it, they send a crew down to see what happened in another one of their ships that is on stranded on a frozen planet. 
Unfortunately, it turned out that the crew of that other vessel responded to a call for help, arriving to find three life forms. As soon as they brought them on board, board, the third one exploded, birthing out Gorn, which are their horrifying, destructive, murderous species of this universe. Uh, basically carnivores that grow into intelligent enough species to steal captives away to use them to breed their eggs with. Again, super horrifying. Uh, point being in this case that the Gorn ended up killing every single crew member of this other ship. Also, unfortunately, when the Enterprise crew arrives on deck, the one, uh, one of the two remaining beings who had sent out that original distress call turns out to have been infected by Gorn eggs as well. So they hatch out of its body before too long, trapping the crew members in the broken vessel on this ice planet alongside several hungry newborn Gorn. In the end, we learn that Hemmer, uh, when he was spat on by one of the Gorn earlier in the episode protecting someone else, uh, I think it was Ahura he was protecting, he himself was infected with its egg, I guess that's how they breed or spawn, uh, and now he must sacrifice himself for the greater good. The Gorn can't survive in the cold, so right as they are about to hatch out of him, he goes out into the snow and dies for his crew. They hold a ceremony for Hemmer on the Enterprise, and I found, honestly, a really great review of the consequences of Hemmer's death. Uh, it comes from Gizmodo, I will have it linked in the description below, but I have this one little bit that I've clipped out of it that I want to read to you because it captures really well the significance um, of, of Hemmer's loss. We immediately get to feel those consequences beyond Hemmer's loss, too. La'an decides to take an extended leave of absence from the Enterprise to help one of the Peregrine survivors, a young child, find their home beyond Federation borders. Spock, now unable to truly control his emotions again, finds himself and his relationship with Nurse Chapel changing in fundamental, downright scary ways. Even Uhura, so distraught by the loss of Hemmer, is left open-ended, unsure of whether to stay and put down roots aboard the Enterprise, or leave as she originally intended, the episode ending on a lingering shot of her staring out at the comm station on the bridge. The future we know she will have, one day, and it's distinctly left up to interpretation as to whether she's looking at it with pride or with doubt. There is one more episode of this first season. I was really hoping they would give us like 13, but no, they're only giving us 10. That was me pounding my fist on my desk, because I wish we had more episodes than 10, but... I've no doubt they'll blow it out of the water with the finale this Thursday, and next season we are going to meet Captain Kirk, as he's not going to be Captain, his dad is, you know, I mean his dad looks 30, so <laughs> I don't know how they're going to do the age thing, maybe he's just going to be really young when he and Uhura hook up, I, I don't know, I don't know, um, but he's supposed to be in season two, so uh, never going to come fast enough. I really am digging this. This is the best Star Trek I've seen in a super long time. And that is about it for this week's episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. Thank you for listening to any portion of the episode that you were able to. Yes, it is a tiny bit short because I just spent two hours talking about Patsy Walker in the June Yancey Street special, which you will see posted around the same time that this one is. Exciting, I know. So go check that one out. Two hours of me talking about Hellcat. And I can promise you there's something in there that you did not know about comic books, whether it be about Patsy, characters in her history, 
comic events or something else, there is something in that podcast that will be new to you, and I can guarantee you that. So check it out. She's super cool. She's been in the Iron Man series that's been running for a while now that people really love. Um, however, her future is kind of uncertain in the Marvel Universe. Um, if she has enough, like people asking to see more of her that might give her another series. So that is partially my intention of putting that podcast out so people become interested in her character and start asking for that um, subsequent series, which I imagine would be by also Christopher Cantwell. But I digress. The episode's over. Um, <laughs> I'll be back for a new episode next week, which will be the uh, 11th-ish. And then the July Yancey Street special. Shut up. I know it's already July. Um, it's going to be about Throg because I asked on Twitter what people wanted and nobody responded. So it's going to be about Throg, folks. If you don't want that, too late. Uh, you can always make suggestions for future Yancey Street specials because I only have them planned through August. I have no idea what I'm going to do for September and beyond. Absolutely none. So give me suggestions. I would love to do research on comics for you. Uh, until next week. Drink water, hydrate hippies, get sweaty about comics, and uh, try not to be a dick, really. Goodbye.